Welcome to the Grey Wolf Podcast. Here we go for a very special edition of the Grey Wolf Podcast. It is Ned joined by horror icon Bill Mosley. Bill, how are you, man? I'm good. And hello, Australia. I miss you and I want to come back. Yeah, we were just saying, Bill, you've actually been to Darwin as part of one of your, your films. Uh, yes, Christopher Lee's son's movie, Charlie's Farm, the first time I worked with Chris. And as part of our publicity tour, we went to Darwin. And I uh, still have uh, my T-shirt with a big crocodile on it that says, Trust me, I'm from Darwin. <laughs> and right in the middle of town, there was this big uh, crocodile emporium where you could walk around and look into a big saltwater tank. And people who wanted to spend the money and were that crazy could actually be lowered into the crocodile tank. It looked like some kind of a plexiglass cylinder and they would then go into the water the crocodiles would come up and they were like 20 25 footers and they would come up and look at the people i just thought that was going a little too far but i I did get the t-shirt that is way too far there they can keep that to themselves now (laughs) bill (laughs) my co-host fitz he's not here today he's feeling really sick he's just got back from an overseas holiday and he wanted to ask you He loves the horror movies and such that you're involved in, but was super excited to talk to you about Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. You had a role in that back in the day. How was that? Yeah, that was great, actually, because I had worked with a director before, because I worked on the movie uh, White Fan, and that was directed by Randall Kleiser, who also directed Blue Lagoon, which, you know, was a big Brooke Shields movie when she was a kid. Yeah, I know the one. Randall, Randall was a great guy. After White Fang, he hired me to play an FBI agent or a Treasury agent, some kind of a G-man, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And I loved it because I ended up working two different days on what was basically a, pretty much of a cameo. And thanks to Randall, he billed it as though I had worked for two full weeks. <laughs> I got more than I should have gotten, and I can you know, continue to get residuals from it. So just from the nuts and bolts of a job, I always bless Randall every time I get a residual check from Disney. Really had a great time working with him, of course, up on, you know, in Alaska for uh, White Fang with Ethan Hawke and Klaus Maria Brandauer. And that was where I met a now uh, a lifelong buddy, uh, James Remar, because yeah, I played his henchman in White Fang, and we've been friends ever since. So... You know, good things from Randall. Speaking of Randall, Kleiser, actually, if you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but a lot of the Sharon Tate footage in the movie is from uh, Randall's house, which I recognize since I uh, like to walk up. He lives right on the lip of a uh, public park, and it's a great hike, you know, so Randall Randall has been in my thoughts lately. (laughs) Thanks to, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Isn't it funny how things sort of turn out like that, and we were just looking over the movies you've been in is something else in a, a mega wide range. The bulk of them, of course, being horror, I guess. What sort of are the standout performances you've been in, would you say, Bill? Well, I mean, I, I think the ones that I'm best known for certainly are Chop Top and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and also Otis Driftwood, of course, in House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and now the upcoming Three from Hell. I also loved working as uh, Johnny in, in the Tom Savini remake of Night of the Living Dead, even though that was pretty much, you know, one and done. I didn't last very long, <laughs> uh, thanks to a 
particularly enthusiastic zombie that cracked my head on a tombstone. <laughs> and then I loved working with Garen Lynn Bousman on a horror opera called uh, Repo, the genetic opera. And that was a lot of fun because that was singing and dancing, which I can do, but not... I can do if I can... If you just leave me alone, I can sing and dance all day. <laughs> if you try to make me sing a certain tune or dance a certain step, I, I become a clutch. But with Darren and, and the Repo, the Genetic Opera, I had a wonderful time. <laughs> That's another performance, I would say, that, that stands out. I also did a movie called Dead Air, which not too many people have seen. Basically, uh, being attacked, and uh, I, I play a disc jockey in a, in a radio station that's under attack by some kind of zombie-type people, people that have breathed in some kind of gas from the CIA and it's changed them into nuts. So they attack the radio station. But Dead Air, is that's a good one. And then finally, another little-known movie called Old 37, which I starred in with Kane Hodder. And we play brothers in an old auto salvage yard. We're pretty vile creatures. And it was fun working with Kane, and I had a lot of fun doing that one. Yeah, of course, Kane, best known, I guess, maybe for his Jason Voorhees there. But I think it's great how you sort of, a horror movie guy, sort of all pop up in these movies in particular together I think is really cool. It's a lot of fun. We do a lot of horror conventions every year. And uh, let's see, I probably do maybe a dozen a year and at least a dozen. And I bet you maybe half of them I see Kane Hodder. <laughs> and so we're also, you know, buddies from these conventions. So, it, you know, it's a lot of fun, you know, because we talk shop certainly at the conventions. And it's a whole lot of fun when, you know, we actually get hired to, you know, play together in the same movie. That, that can be a hoot. So just because you're in the same movie doesn't necessarily mean you've worked with a person. I have been in, I think we figured out it's six different features, and that's with Tony Todd. Tony Todd, great actor. We've been in six movies together, and we've never done a scene together. That is crazy. So, yeah, and we see each other at the conventions, and we talk about it. We say, we got to work together someday. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's showbiz. Despite being in the six movies together, you've got to work together someday. I like that. And yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Bill, what are your sort of takes on the horror remakes? They seem to be the sort of the flavor of the week at the moment. Are you into that sort of thing or do you like it when new ideas come up? Like I'm excited for Three from Hell, obviously, which we'll talk about later. But what are your sort of takes on remakes? I'm not really that big on them, to tell you the truth. The one I did like was Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, whichever one that was. That I thought was pretty good. The other remakes, I'm just not into them. I find myself almost instinctively defending the originals. I, I, you know, and there's certainly been a lot of them. I don't want to, you know, necessarily name them because I want to keep working. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, definitely I, do. I have great love instead of those and, you know, number five or six. I can't even really talk about those anymore because I think after Three From Hell being the third in the installment, I think that almost qualifies us as a franchise. But I am much more interested in the new stuff. I love that movie Mandy by Panos Cosmatos. I love Hereditary, and of course, uh, even more, I love the second movie by Ari Aster called Midsummer. You know, so there are new, exciting directions 
directors with new exciting takes on things that which just shows me that you don't have to remake everything and maybe I think probably remaking stuff is really more about the money than the horror or the you know the actual good idea of retelling the story so you know and it is a business and if that's going to sell tickets I guess that's the way it goes but for me it's not really that too exciting yeah I hear what you're saying right there and I guess that leads me to my next question Bill if you could reprise any role what would that be well, I would certainly say there seemed to be a lot more mileage in uh, Chop Top. Definitely. So I would be very excited about that. I thought I was going to actually get a shot at it back in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D came out and or was or was getting ready to roll and I uh, the, the producer on that fellow named Carl Mazicone had also produced one of the producers on Repo so I knew Carl and we also did a movie together called The Tortured and so Carl was producing this new Chainsaw Massacre take and he called me up and he said I am doing this movie I'd love to have you in it and I went oh great and he said yes and I want you to play Drayton Sawyer Drayton of course is the guy that has the the gas station he's the for some people he's a father but for those of us who know he's actually the older brother Mm. and so I said well why are you asking me to play Drayton it's almost like asking Curly to come back in a remake of the Three Stooges and play Mo it's It's like dude I mean you know I'm chop chop and and the producer explained that he had the rights to the original chainsaw but chainsaw number two in which chop top appears is actually owned by a different company and uh, in fact it was it is still owned by sony pictures and they did not have the rights to chainsaw 2 and therefore any characters in chainsaw 2 so it was close but no cigar and i ended up playing Drake in the remake or i don't even know if it's a remake or reimagining <laughs> i don't even know what they call it anymore there's so many different iterations of the chainsaw legend yeah well, do you think that could be a possibility down the track i suppose that the people for the rights for the one you were in would have to be on board for that yes i mean they probably have to emancipate shop top from sony pictures and and then they would probably have to work out a deal with the people that owned the rights to the original chainsaw. Mm. I guess. I don't really know how that would work. It would be a little complicated, but probably nothing that money couldn't solve. <laughs> and uh, if they were to do that, boy, oh boy, I'd, I'd love to get back into Chop Top skin. Yeah, that would be all sorts of awesome there. And, well, changing things up, Bill, we haven't seen Evil Bong. I was going through the list of movies you're in there, and that just jumped out. What's the go with Evil Bong? You know, I really, I don't know if I even have a copy of it. Um, <laughs> I remember, you know, I've worked with Charlie Band. I did a movie with him, which actually is really kind of a pretty cool movie called Crash and Burn. And I did that uh, way back when with Charlie Band. And Charlie, you know, with Full Moon Entertainment, was doing Evil Bong. And in it, I think in order, I think he wanted me to be in it so that I would be a, a character, which it would then be familiar to the audience. And then he wanted me to be in a different movie that he was going to make. And anyway, so I spent an afternoon down in a an abandoned building in, in lower Los Angeles. 
And I do remember I still have some footage because I sat around a lot. There were uh, a bunch of white doves that were feeding <laughs> next to, in, the, in the window in the window of my of my room in this abandoned building. <laughs> and so I got some wonderful footage of white doves, you know, cooing and eating seeds or whatever they were eating and drinking a little water. And you know that was that was fun. But uh, I don't really remember much more than that. <laughs> I love that. That's what you remember. Having- for the movie. I, I had a movie camera. <laughs> yes, I had a little movie camera. Or, you know, I don't know what it was. And I also took a picture of, of a crane or some kind of a steam shovel picking up wrecked cars in some kind of salvage yard, a scrap metal yard. And I was taking a movie of that. And then, you know, some guys came toward me in a threatening manner because I guess, I don't know if they had, you know, thought they were doing something illegal, I guess. So I remember scooting out of there. But that's that's literally all I remember. I did meet the uh, Tommy Chong, I think he was also part of Evil Bond. So I did, you know, say hi to him and shake his hand. But uh, above and beyond that, the memory is pretty slim. <laughs> oh, that's funny, right there. It just stood out on the list, Bill. And I tell you what, just talking to you now, you seem like a super nice dude, which I'm not surprised about at all. We wanted to know, how do you sort of get yourself in the mindset to play some of the brutal roles that you play? It really doesn't take that much. <laughs> there you uh, go. I used to jokingly say, you know, after 30 years of driving in Los Angeles traffic, you know, you can really pretty much imagine anything, <laughs> anything brutal and horrific. But I actually just, I think that the first part is I read the script a bunch of times. I get into the story and I use my imagination. That really is. I mean, it's like a muscle that needs to be exercised. And, you know, I just read the script and I imagine the story. I imagine the relationships. I just think about stuff and who I am and what I'm doing and what I want, I suppose. And all those kind of actor things, those little tricks. And, you know, what I do is I kind of, you know, with my eyes open, I kind of meditate on it and I kind of figure out who this person is and just go for it. I like that right there. But yeah. I, try to, I try not to put on the brakes. <laughs> I don't think, oh, geez, I'm not going to do that, you know, because it's not up to me. You know, if I'm playing another character, it's what the character would do, not what I would do or how I want to package it for, you know, the, the audience. You know, if that's the story, if that's the direction, by golly, I'll do what it takes. You know, the good news is I don't really hurt people on the set. <laughs> I mean, that's that's always know, a good just, thing. Just for your information, the blood is, for the most part, the blood is fake. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the bullets are actually blanks, and, you know, the chainsaw doesn't really actually have teeth. But, Disappointing um, to know, you know but... Sometimes the claw hammer is made out of foam rubber. So, <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. I'm not actually out there killing people. The hard part is actually getting back from the character. You know, you can go there and everybody likes to go to these places. You know, it's pretty exciting and challenging and fun. But then, you know, if you played Otis all day, you know, smacking people and shooting people and stabbing people, then they say, okay, that's a wrap. And then you, you know, wash up and get in your car and drive home and there's your wife and kids. (laughs) Yeah. You can't be doing that shit at home. Yeah, I I think it's looked down upon. (laughs) Yes. First of all, it's very illegal. And second of all, uh, you know, it's the wife and the kids, they don't like it. Yeah. Although I got to say, when I was playing Otis, my kids, boy, their rooms were spotless. <laughs> Very funny. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit of Otis, Bill. How did you get to know Rob Zombie and what's he like to work with? Rob is is a dream to work with. He's very calm. He really knows what he wants. 
he's a writer-director, so he's written this stuff, and so he has conceived it in his imagination, he sees it in his mind's eye, so he knows exactly what he wants. That's always an advantage, I think. He's a very visual guy, he's a real artist, so he knows how things should look. You know, after, I guess, eight or nine films, he's very technically adept, and before he got into features, he was doing some of his own, you know, music videos. He's really got that part of things down. He's also a rock star, which is kind of strange and wonderful. So he pretty much knows how to get what he wants or certainly get what he needs. He's very good with actors, and all of us have different temperaments. So something that might motivate one actor might you know, completely shut down another. So he's very good about you know, dealing with the individuals. And he's a lot of fun to work with. He's also collaborative. And especially with a writer-director, sometimes they get into everything I've written must be spoken exactly right. If you change a, a, you know, the word A-N-D, <laughs> you know, I'm going to stop, I'm going to cut the whole take and you know, yell at you. you know, Rob is very collaborative. You come up with something that works better. He's the first to, you know, put his thumb up and say, you know, go for it. So he's he's very good in that regard. And also, if you come up with something that's stupid and doesn't work, he'll let you know in a gentle but firm way that we're <laughs> not going to be doing that. So that's good too. Because sometimes when you have a director who is collaborative and who has given you the green light to share your opinion, there's some people that really take advantage of that and share their opinion about a lot of stuff. And when they really should just shut the fuck up and <laughs> do their job. So, I mean, it, that all worked too. I mean, he's good, but he doesn't tolerate idiots, which is also great. The crew loves him. You know, it's fun working with Rob, with Sherry, with Sid Haig. It's a lot of fun working with Richard Brake on Three From Hell. And so it really feels more like family, a family affair. And that also is good. You don't really feel lost or, or separate. And that also really helps. So everything, it basically it allows you to just be comfortable and relaxed so that you can actually focus on the work at hand and not all the other stuff that begs for your distraction on, on a movie set. For sure. Well, with that being said, what can you tell us about Three From Hell? Is there anything that you can sort of let us know? Well, I first heard that we were getting the band back together, so to speak, about two years ago. Rob and Sherry had Sid Haig and me for lunch, and during the course of our lunch, they said, by the way, we're going to do this thing. And I was very excited to hear it. It's funny because Sid and I, over the years at these conventions, a lot of times we sit together, and when a fan would come up and say, by the way, is there, there going to ever be another one of these movies? You know, we'd call to each other, and then we'd, I'd say, Sid! And he'd go, what? And I go, is there going to be another one? He'd go, no. <laughs> and I'd say, how come? And then we'd count to three, one, two, three. And then in unison, we'd say, because we're fucking dead. <laughs> and it was very funny because that would obviously stop things for a moment and at these conventions. And that's what we, we would laugh and everybody would laugh. But as it turns out, we did get the band back together. And, you know, as you notice at the end of Devil's Rejects, we're getting shot at. But if you consider who is shooting, it's the Ruggsville Sheriff's Department. And, you know, clearly that's the gang that couldn't shoot straight. As it turns out, we survived getting shot 
shot up by the Rugsville Sheriff's Department, which says, I think, more about the Rugsville Sheriff's Department than it does about, you know, how strong or death-proof we are. I think it's also really cool that that was the way it was planned, you know, the way that Rob scripted it, because everybody had different theories or different ideas about how we could do a third one of these. And I think the lamest was to say, you know, to have somebody like me or Sherry or, or Sid wake up and go, wow, what a crazy dream. I mean, that is the cheapest device known to storytelling. Yep. Oh, wow, it's just a dream. <laughs> That's lame. And then the other theory that was popular was that we got killed. We went to hell. We were so rowdy that the devil said, get out of here. So we were rejected by the devil. That's and cool. we ended up back on planet Earth. That's kind of cool, except then we're supernatural. And that changes things you know, 180 degrees. So yeah, good point. That didn't work either. So the idea that we just got shot, but we somehow survived, you know, let's go with that. That sounds great to me. And also, that means we just hit the ground running. You know, there really is no, you know, you don't have to go into a lot of exposition or you don't have to go into some kind of testimony in a trial, like showing how we could have made it. You know, forget about it. We're we're alive, you know, and uh, we're, we're coming for you. <laughs> that's really what it came down to. That, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's just a month away. It uh, actually hit cinemas here September 17 and very much excited for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know that uh, what we're doing here in the States is it's only going to be in theaters for three nights. I think it's September 16, 17, and 18. And each night, it's, it's more like an event than a release. So each night here is like the first night, the first 50 people that get into the theater get a poster and maybe some kind of howdy-do from Rob, some kind of a video welcome by Rob. Second night, I think there is some kind of behind-the-scenes featurette that's also included, which is Rob talking about the making of basically Three from Hell. And then the third of the three nights is going to be a double feature, starting with Devil's Rejects and finishing with Three from Hell. Oh, I like that. And then after that, as I understand it, what's happening is it's going straight to streaming. And I guess, you know, I'm old school, I guess, you know, born in the 50s. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was expecting like, you know, a big theatrical release and, you know, many weeks and many theaters and everything. But I guess we live in a brave new world where that apparently is, you know, a great release. There's three nights in the theater and then streaming. <laughs> and I don't really know how that works, but, you know, I'm going to see because that's what's happening. It's going to work well for me out in the middle of nowhere, I can tell tell you that because I'll be able to stream that fairly soon rather than wait so that's good if you look at it like that yes that is good and I hope you have a big big screen TV <laughs> most definitely well we'll switch things up to the sort of music side of things and comic-con like you've sort of alluded to working with twisted and, and that sort of thing you popped up on Al Azul Alou's intro to their album as well I think it's cool that you sort of dabble right. into that side of thing as well you know I've always I've always been into music starting with my family singing in the car on long car trips <laughs> and my mother tried to get me to take piano lessons but I was much 
much more interested in the bongo drums. That really seems to be my instrument of choice. And right when I first moved to Los Angeles in, in May, 1990, I think, I was doing a play called Timothy and Charlie, where I played Timothy Leary, and the other character was Charlie, as in Charles Manson. Ooh. And they did have a historical night together, side by side, in solitary confinement in San Quentin Prison in 1974. So this play was based, you know, it was a fantasy, but based on that reality. And one night, when we finished the play, the guy that played Charles Manson introduced me to this tall, skinny, long-haired, weird kind of guy. And turns out this guy was Buckethead, you know, the world's greatest guitar player. And Buckethead was a big, like Rob Zombie, a big uh, Chainsaw 2 fan. And he invited me, you know, come down to his friend's studio in some apartment in Los Angeles and you know, just go off on some of the stuff that he had, music that he had made. So I did. I came down, I brought my bongos and came down and, you know, Rift with Buckethead. He liked it so much that when he did an album for, I guess it was a Sony album called Giant Robot, you know, he flew me to New York from Los Angeles and I did the vocals on a couple of his tunes on Giant Robot. And things went so well that when I was starting to do horror conventions, I saw that everybody was just selling 8x10s and I thought it would be fun to sell like cassettes, you know, back in the tape days of music that Buckethead and I would make. He was okay with that or good with that. So we got together and started making music. And that became a band called Cornbugs. He had a drummer friend and it was just the three of us. Drums and Bucket would play you know, lead guitar, bass guitar. And I would write the lyrics and do the vocals. So we did that for about 10 years. And then after that, I hooked up with a guy named Ronnie Sharone, whose brother Gil plays drums for Marilyn Manson now. And uh, Ronnie had a band called Stolen Babies. And the two of us got together and made an album called Spider Mountain No Way Down. And that came out. And then just about a year and a half ago, I put out an EP with Phil Anselmo, the lead singer of uh, Pantera. I went down to his place in Louisiana and we put out six songs called Bill and Phil, Songs <laughs> of Darkness and Despair. Uh, yeah. That is available on Phil's label, Housecore Records. So I've always been doing stuff like that, you know, working with Twisted, you know, I've done a bunch of vocal, you know, cameos on some of their stuff. And, you know, I, I've done that for a bunch of different bands. So that's something I keep doing. I mean, I'm certainly more of an actor than a musician, you know, in terms of a profession, but I do like to keep my chops up and helps with things like repo and you know, different things. So music, Chop Top wasn't kidding when he said, music is my life. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating right there. And I've got to admit, I had no idea about Bill and Phil. I need to check that out. That sounds just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I got down to Louisiana, you know, because I, I, had, I had pestered him. We were pals, and I had, we had interviewed each other for a music site called Artist Direct. And we stayed in touch. I'd go to his shows when he was in town. And I kept saying, you know, hey, man, we got to get together and do something. And finally, I guess I nudged him enough, and he said, look, I got four days, you know, in the next next week. So <laughs> down here to Louisiana. And I said, okay. And I cashed in some air miles and I flew from LA to New Orleans and I rented a car and I drove over Lake Poncha train up to his neck of the woods. And it was four days. Day one, I got there. Day two, I, I showed him the, some of the lyrics I brought down and he, you know, picked out six different songs. Five, excuse me. And then day three, we did the music and day four, we did the vocals. I did the vocals for all five of them. And then, you know, he was just playing 
playing something on the guitar, and I started coming up with vocals for that, so we made, made one up on the spot. You are and, a jack uh, of many you know, trades, Bill. Well, you know, I try to, I try to stay nimble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, any, any artist, you, know, you don't want to just be uh, fenced in in one particular uh, expression. You want to do all kinds of stuff if you can. Yeah, most definitely. I couldn't agree more there. And so much homework for me to do after this interview now. I've got music to check out, some new movies that I didn't know about, all sorts of awesome. But I wanted to know, Bill, can I grab a recommendation from you? Like, what would, what's something you recommend people listening to check out? It doesn't have to be a movie. It could be music. It can give me anything. You know what I've been into lately is you're probably way past that in your life. But that is, I, I got into the Gun Club. The Gun you know, Club? Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Yeah. There you go. I didn't really pay any attention to the Gun Club for many years until I finally you know, just got back into them or got into them for the first time. So I've been kind of going like, wow, the Gun Club is, is awesome. You know, in the movies I've mentioned, of course, Midsummer, Hereditary... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, I saw that twice. I thought that was awesome. Other than that, uh, I don't know. If I think of anything, I'll, I'll call you back. <laughs> no, there is a bunch, and we'll put a whole heap of links of these up on the website as well. All right, Bill, so we've got three from hell coming out in a month's time. What does the future hold from there from you? What else have you got in the works? You know, we'll see. I mean, I'm coming up on my uh, convention time of the year where I've almost, I think starting in two weeks, I have just about every weekend booked through the middle of December. Wow. I am actually taking my wife. We're taking a little cruise first couple of weeks in November. I think it's November 3rd to the 17th. And we're, uh, we're going to Vietnam, and we're going to cruise up from Saigon to Nam Penh, Cambodia, and stopping along the way and just exploring. So that should be pretty amazing. I think that would um, be great, yeah. Yes, and I'm writing a couple of screenplays. One I just finished and sent off to my, my buddy Simon Kudrensky <laughs> in Poland, and Simon is the chief artist on the Spawn comics. So he and I have uh, already gotten together. We've collaborated on an old screenplay I wrote many moons ago called Devil Deer, about a deer that turns into a kind of a monster deer in the wilds of northern Wisconsin. And he did an amazing book of Devil Deer. And so I just sent him a screenplay I just finished two weeks ago. So he's got that, the new one, called The Grin Reaper. Oh. And uh, good old Simone is going to turn that into uh, you know, an amazing book. So yeah, just writing away, acting, watching baseball, and taking care of my two cats and one dog. <laughs> Love that right there, Bill. And any chance you'll get out here again soon and maybe tackle that crocodile tank in Darwin? Well, tell Chris Sonda to make another movie, and you know, I'm more than happy to come out there. <laughs> you know, it was so much fun working on Charlie's Farm, but also then we did Boar, B-O-A-R. I uh, think I've seen that. Nathan Jones, John Jarrett, Steve Beasley, you know, Ernie Dingo. I mean, we had a lot of really great Australian actors. I was like the token yank. It was so funny, too, because you know, I said to Chris when he called me up and said we want to do this movie, et cetera, et cetera, I said, please, please make me a yank. Because <laughs> I, I have the worst Australian accent literally in the world. I'm sorry, you're going to have to give us that Australian accent now that you've said it. Oh, I, you know, g'day, you know, mate. Uh, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry to cut you off there. What were you saying? My bad. It's so bad. G'day, mate. Uh, you know, throw a shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> 
<laughs> so bad. I think it's it good. Was so bad that here's what I did. I said, first of all, I've got to play. Make me a yank, please. Don't make me even try an Australian accent because you know anybody that even, let alone from Australia, that even has ever heard an Australian accent is going to know mine is like totally shitty and artificial. So I said, please, please make me a yank. So okay, I, he, he made me a yank, and then I, you know, I felt like, well, you know, I want to still be a part of this, even though I can't do the accent. So what I did was I went online and I looked up Australian sayings. And so in Boar, at the very beginning, I'm in the car with my, you know, my wife who's Australian, my stepkids Australian, my daughter's boyfriend. Everybody is Australian, yeah. and I am trying to fit in. So I say, we're driving along, it's a long car trip, and I say, I'm so hungry I could eat the crotch out of a low-flying duck. <laughs> <laughs> that was something that I had read. <laughs> I love it, Bill. That's very funny because something that I often do with guests is throw Australian slang at them, and I don't really have any with me at the moment because, well, I wasn't going to talk to you about Australian slang, to be honest, but it's quite often you catch people off guard with the Australian slang, but maybe next time I talk to you, I'll give you a bit of an Australian slang challenge because it sounds like you've done your homework. Well, I did. I mean, I remember Chris Dunn was telling me about dropping the Browns off at the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping the friends. (laughs) Right. He had some funny ones. I also, I think I say in four, I say, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to piss in your punch bowl. Uh, but that, that seemed to be one. So, so I, I'm trying, man. I'm doing my best. You know, I'm trying to make up for my lingual deficiency. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out, Bill. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, it has been a and bunch please of... Please download Three From Hell. Yeah. Try not to hack it because we need, you know, we need the residuals back here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love, as I say, I, I love the uh, Sunshine Coast especially that's where we were for those two movies you know love brisbane love coolum coolum beach i had a great time you know love the water there love the people and the food so i i want to come back almost definitely we look forward to that and be sure to hit this man up on instagram instagram.com slash chop top mosley and same deal on twitter as well twitter.com slash chop top mosley be on the lookout from three from hell it's here september 17 and a bunch more to look into thank you so much once again bill appreciate it my pleasure